coming in. Yep. Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. My name is Chris, and I am so grateful to be with you once again for another fantastic episode. Before we get started, make sure to follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Also, make sure to leave a five-star review. Leave any kind of review, and don't forget, we are giving away that angle cooler at the end of the year full of plenty of goodies. I'm super, super excited to give that to one lucky follower of the podcast. Well, today we have a very special guest. We've got Brian Wynn from, I don't even know your company name. Well, I guess you can start Milestone Health and Life. But, Milestone. Uh, that, was, that was me being bad. I apologize. No, it's welcome to the podcast, I Brian. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Before we get started, when was the last time you went fishing? I went, I got off the Cortez September 22nd. Which is a Thursday, I think. Yeah, Thursday. It's so not, not too not, not too, too long, long ago. ago. How'd you do? Long ago. It was a it was a good trip. We had five over two. It's a two and a half day trip, so we had five bluefin over two, and I think like a handful others in that sixty pound, seventy pound class, and then we had yellowfin, which was a which was a surprise, a pleasant surprise because of their size. We'd all heard about how they were real small and kind of mm. often described as little brown bags of sugar. <laughs> um, but uh, these ones, they were about thirty to fifty pounds. Um, oh, nice. We were able to get yet the long soak to get them, which kind of is a chore at times. But mm. uh, we limit our trips to twelve, so it's not really an issue. I feel like the yellowfin over the last couple of years have learned to become like bluefin. In an annoying way. I, I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I, you, have, you ever heard that thing with albacore fishing where the albacore sometimes act like bluefin when they hang around? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen them in, in mixed schools like that, and the, they, they actually try to fight the same way. They don't, <laughs> they don't want to stay, they don't want to get close to the boat. No kidding. So, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's crazy. What, did you guys go up north? Or? Oh, we were fishing that, uh, that in between Catalina and Clemente, that, okay. that area there. And uh, yeah, cell fo- within cell phone range. How about that? No, oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> That's so weird, fighting bluefin within cell phone, right? Right, like right, it. right. Well, cool, man. Let's get started here. Before we kind of get, I know you specialize in fishing and Medicare and all that. Before we get started there, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Tell, give us the background. Um, I I, kinda, I spent half of my life in the uh, fishing tackle industry. Um, it kind of started out real funny. Uh, my official start, or the the corporate start, if you if you want to say, um, it, it actually came by way of an accident. Um, my brother and I, I was uh, I was eighteen years old. I just turned eighteen. I was looking for a job, mm-hmm. and uh, we decided to get on a freeway and wanted to see where the heck that freeway takes you to. Oh, it was a one ten freeway, and it ended us in uh, it got us to Pasadena. And I drove we drove by a Turner's Outdoorsman. And they had a for hire sign or a hiring sign. And I went in there and I applied and that was kind of my start. But I had always uh, I've been fishing since I was a kid uh, on sport boats. And uh, kind of from there, um, it really started. I, I, I made the decision that I wanted to pursue something more in the fishing tackle industry. So from there, I went to work for at that time, one of the one of the West Coast's largest uh, fishing tackle and sporting goods distributors uh, called Western Hoagie. Uh, they'd been around for a real long time, probably the oldest uh, distributor out there. Um, spent a, lo- a couple of years there, and uh, it started to feel real good. They felt like family. I actually uh, never, you know, it's one of those weird deals where I never created a resume when hmm. I was working there because I didn't feel the need. You know, I came in as a sales assistant and got promoted and 
uh, really enjoyed it until uh, the owners, um, they didn't have an heir. They didn't have anybody that they could pass the company along to. Mm. So they, uh, they sold the company and uh, it was heartbreaking for about a year. Try to figure out what it was I wanted to, what I, you know, what type of position or, or what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to continue to stay in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I spent a little bit of time working for uh, uh, Penn Fishing Tackle. Um, and um, you guys remember the Penn Baja special? You know, you yeah. guys know that reel? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when the reps came around and they were showing that thing around. And this is kind of how my that started. Uh, they came around and they were showing us this new reel. It's in prototype. And I, I looked at it and I played with it and they said, hey, Brian, I know we know you fish. Why don't you take this out on your trip? And I gave it a shot and it worked really good. Um, mm-hmm. And I came back and I told them, I said, you know what? This is not just another senator. I saw that line being used in an ad about a, uh, a month later when it came out. So, oh, no that, yeah, That's that cool. was uh, pretty interesting. But then uh, when they sold, I met with the uh, president uh, or the vice president, I believe, of Penn. Uh, Brian Nelson at that time, and uh, then that's when they kind of told that story. They said, "Hey, uh, this is the guy who came up with that line that just not another senator." <laughs> and so they uh, they hired me, and they taught me a lot working there. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was where, uh, where was this? Uh, I'm sorry, where was this? Is where? this here in California? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So Penn was uh, it was in Philadelphia, uh, yeah. in Philly, and uh, they had me as their ambassador for the entire state of California. They already had a sales rep for us, but one of the things that they wanted to launch was all products, um, mm-hmm. including that that time they, they came out with a fishing line, which um, you know everybody tries to get into the fishing line business. Mm-hmm. I wanted to promote that. So I worked there for a couple of months. Um, it was just really tough uh, working there because they were on one coast and I was on the other. And communication at times was a little difficult. So... Uh, still trying to make the best of it, but one of the things, I always give him credit, and I hope uh, he g- does get wind of this, but a uh, gentleman there, his name was Jim Downing. Um, he was the sales manager there. He showed me the ropes. He taught me everything. He came out here and lived here basically for a month. I had no idea what it took to be out on the road, and he showed me everything. He even showed me how to negotiate with hotels. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but it, you know, then things uh, kind of, it, it was... It was a little difficult, so I wasn't having as much fun with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went into, uh, I got into being a manufacturer's rep. And from that point on, um, that's kind of how it started. And as a manufacturer's rep, one of the, it's always interesting to see people at trade shows and they come up to you and they say, you quit that last job that you were at? This is a new factor. <laughs> well, no, if you understand the business, you're, you're basically the, an, out, an, out, an outside sales agency. Um, that's being hired uh, by the factories. So things do change. The, my position and the company didn't change. The agency mm-hmm. didn't change. It just so happens factories kind of, they, they, they tend to do that. Right. And so from that, um, it was more sales, marketing, even uh, product development and product pioneering. Um, and uh, I really, that was uh, kind of the, 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 where I ended up, I, I just stayed for, for quite some time. I really enjoyed that. I was always, uh, uh, I was always a fisherman. I was not uh, one of those, uh, I, I wasn't in the business just because I was in the business. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and and I, I still continue to fish a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and it, uh, things do change when you get married. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of. That's 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 where it was at, but there's uh-huh. a number of factories that I, I I worked for proudly and was able to accomplish an awful lot with them. Very cool, man. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, you've you kind of just said it. You kind of just gave a 
discussed your life story to where you you bounced around and i think most people in this industry kind of do do the same thing where they bounce around different brands and yeah. products and all that and uh-huh. that's that's just the nature of the game it is it is and it uh you know i always wanted to have a I, I, one of the things i always you know wanted to do my goal was to leave a lasting impression on the factories um and sometimes just like any relationship uh, you have factories that you represent that you have a deeper connection with and with others. Um, it's no fault of the factory and it's no fault of yours. It's just, hey, personalities just kind of work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was uh, very proud, uh, like I said, of the things that we were able to accomplish in that in that time span and the things that we were able to, to, to pioneer and things that we tried to pioneer that maybe wasn't as accepted at that time. And now you see it and you just go scratch your head and says, man, we were about 16, 17 years too early, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and uh, things that you, you know, work on that are really taking off or that, that become the standard. And you kind of look back and you're proud of it. And, you know, sometimes uh, people will make mention of a product and you just kind of go. <laughs> yep, I, I had an I had a hand in that. Yeah, yeah. So. Your thumb, your thumbprints are all over that's the place. That's right. That's, that's cool. right. So, um, so out of all the major brands and tackle manufacturers and all that stuff, you've probably worked with damn near all of them, right? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Um, rods and reels. Um, yeah, I, I, it was Shimano. Um, I did uh, spend a little bit of time with Avit. Um, then uh, with uh, with uh, Okuma. Um, even master fishing tackle, which I know some people will look and laugh at or not laugh at, but just kind of go, well, that's not really hardcore, but you know, it's mm-hmm. a great brand and it provides tackle for people to get into the sport, yeah. uh, at a, at a very, uh, in a, for the budget, of course, but mm-hmm. for the budget minded angler in, uh, you know, in hooks, I mean, I, I right now currently, even in my position, um, which I, which is outside of the industry, but my goal of, uh, or my mission of promoting sport fishing, um, I'm very proud to say I do promote for uh, Gamakatsu, but I have worked for Mustad, Owner, um, Rapala, you know, so VMC falls into that. I mean, mm-hmm. so you got rods, reels, hooks, <laughs> line. Uh, we had Power Pro. I was a Power Pro rep when, you know, at that time, Power Pro, there was always a little, uh, there was always a little uh, stigma to it. You know, people came up with their own, uh, with their own ideas on why it is that Power Pro did what they did. And now it's like one of those, again, like I told you, right? Gosh, mm-hmm. now it's huge. But yeah. uh, when we had it, it was still, it was still popular, but it wasn't, you know, anything like it was today. Out of all the years that you've worked in the industry and all that, I'm sure you've probably seen quite a bit of um, trends and transitions and all that stuff to where, you know, you just mentioned PowerPro and, and Braid and all that stuff. Yeah. Just 10 years ago, maybe even less than that, it wasn't really that uh, that big of a deal. Now it's like there's Braid on almost every single reel, depending right. on your preference. Yeah. I mean, it went from, uh, you know, uh, it went from just the backing. You remember mm-hmm. those days? Yeah, the back Okay, so yeah. now, you know, if you were a long-range fisherman, what was the reel? Uh, the reel was a 30-wide. And you would take that 30-wide and you'd fill it with 300 yards of whatever, 100-pound. And you'd on top of that, you'd fish 250 yards maybe of 80-pound. Mm-hmm. So that was like the reel. And it kind of started it. You kind of start thinking, you know, whoa, there's, there might be some potential here. But then uh, it took some guys that were uh, willing to go out and give that a try. Uh, John Pandellas. Uh, being one of the first, I believe, uh, he took uh, Cal sheeted up uh, International 12 and he filled it straight with braid. 
Um, and he uh, was tying his hook, I think, right to it with nothing oh, else. Wow. But he was getting bit. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that were trying that, they were saying it felt really, it, it was really rough on them, yeah. you know, on their bodies just to hang on to the rod and reel. But, you know, that's when it started. People started to realize the the benefit of it. Um, and they, you know, obviously you're real, you can fish them. Now you're filling them to the top. So you fish a lot smaller reel and mm -hmm. um, you can fish your uh, the top shot of choice and whatever it is that you like. But uh, what's it, what it's evolved into is uh, I remember as a kid working in tackle shops, you know, in albacore season, bulk lines of spools. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, during the middle of albacore season, you'd always run out of 25, 30, and 40. It didn't matter what brand it was. Yep. You know, yep. if you if you didn't have Berkeley Big Game, now you move on to Ajaline, you ran out of that, <laughs> you move on to Andy. And, but yeah, that bra the braided line kind of, you know, I was, I remember fishing with mono and I, you know, yeah, I'm sure all you guys do. Could you yep. ever go back? Nope. Right? Nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's pretty crazy because, I mean, you just, you kind of just spark something. I remember the backing. I mean, some guys still use the half braid, half mono yeah. approach too, yeah. which for whatever reason, no offense, but it's yeah. okay. Yep. I mean, with the braid though, with the invention of it and with the use of it, you're probably like as a tackle store, you're not going through as much mono anymore. You're right. not going through much braid anymore because you really only need to do it maybe once every couple of years or so, more or less. If that, yeah, yeah. if that, unless it was, uh, it's unless it's been put through an awful lot. Well, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of the calico bass guys, those SWBA guys, they they probably go through it every couple of seasons just because they do fish it in really rough terrain. But if yeah. you're a live bait fisherman, I mean, we learn so much mm -hmm. about braid, even in my time in it. I remember the first go around, uh, guys, the shops were uh, it, they were uh, taught to spool it tight of course which we all know but right. they spooled it in a crisscross way you guys remember that yeah because it, it was supposed to keep it from digging in on itself mm -hmm. well what we slowly what we found out was that doing it in a crisscross creates a lot of voids and yeah. so those voids if your reel could get five or 700 yards of 100 pound if just because of those voids alone you get 475 yards and you'd think to yourself boy did these manufacturers lie about the real capacities <laughs> but then we started we found out uh that hey you don't need those voids if you spooled it on correctly what you actually want is the complete opposite you want to spool it on as even as possible yeah you know to, to not to not only get the most but it's it actually it's more efficient that way because those voids you know it creates that jerking sensation too when mm -hmm. uh, when the fish is running so we learned that um yeah just uh, the the act of uh, of how to spool it we started we i saw that evolution um at the shops and mm -hmm. uh yeah that was kind of that was a that was a fun time trying to figure out what the hell is this stuff <laughs> it works real good but we're just trying to figure out you know how to best maximize it for uh for what we do if you don't have the luxury of having a, a line winder at home and all mm -hmm. that stuff what is the best way to actually spool it yourself a friend of mine uses a dowel he takes a, okay. like a wooden dowel and he puts uh, tennis balls in it Oh, and okay. he's got uh, and he's got a way of tensioning that. So the more tension he needs, you know, he puts the he puts more tennis balls yeah, and he yeah. kind of squishes it down. But uh, I would say that that would probably work if you're fishing. You know, I wouldn't do a uh, long range uh, a reel. I wouldn't do like a thirty size reel that you're fishing hundred or hundred and thirty pound top shot on because number one. If you're using hollow core in particular, it's mm -hmm. you know on the machine on the winder, it does have ability to flatten itself out, so you tend to get more line on there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you're just uh, if you're just doing it by hand, it, it's kind of tough to get it both tight 
and even yeah. and you know to get it to flatten out to maximize capacity but if mm -hmm. you're just spooling a bait caster your jig reel or anything like that yeah you, that, that tennis ball trick works just fine i have never seen an, an issue with that but you have to understand that it's got to go on tight and the key thing is for it to go on even yeah i mean i've heard everything from the tennis ball deal yeah. to putting it in a bucket of water or something that, that helps kind of deal. Yeah, yeah that bucket of water does help a little bit um yeah. but you when you have it in a bucket of water what it might help with more is to prevent an overrun on the bulk spool mm. because you'd still have to apply that tension with your fingertips you're going to pinch down the line yeah right and yeah it's wet and it'll pack down better for sure but uh, imagine you just wet it and put the use the tennis ball trick now now you get the best <laughs> of both worlds right yeah, for sure yeah for sure well Let's get into what you've been doing for a little while, I think, and that is you you just got your new gig with Medicare involving Medicare and all yeah. that for the older yeah. guys. Uh -huh. And you know what you've been doing going out of the, going around to the fishing clubs and all that. Yeah. Super clever because yeah. all those guys are, you know, Medicare age. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I um it's not about you know, I would love to tell you that I'm going into these fishing clubs with this with the goal of getting their business. Well, it's not really the case. Um spending, you know, a little over two decades in the industry and you know, so I feel like I have a, a lot to offer uh the angler today. And so what I do is I I I I, I want to talk to these fishing clubs and you know they have monthly meetings or some of them I, I, they have weekly meetings congratulations yeah. you know but uh <laughs> their monthly meetings they're always looking for guests and one of the things that i, I i've noticed is um the the it seems to be like a it's a it's a promotion thing or where they're promoting a product and they're touting a product and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that what i wanted to do or what i want to do uh for the fishing clubs is Get back to the ABCs of fishing. And, you know, um, I never tell people that it's expert, expert advice. It's not what I'm, I'm not an expert in anything. Um, what I am here to do is I call them my fishing workshops. And I, if we get to the ABCs of everything, you start to really understand that you have to build these uh, fundamentals or this, these, this set of foundational skills to be successful on the water. Um, one of the fishing workshops that I that I do uh, for the clubs, and it's been probably the most probably because I give them like here's the four that I have. Mm -hmm. I call it uh, uh, as a, uh, a tribute to um, somebody I worked with in the past and really got along well with and uh, and helped me out a lot. Uh, you guys know Pete Haynes, yeah, um, yeah. Pete used to do a seminar at the Fred Hall Show called 10 percent of the English Catch, 90 percent of the Fish." And it's still That's it's true. still very true. Um, <laughs> so but true. Uh, one of the ones that I uh, the the workshops that I do uh, I call it live bait fly line uh, fly lining factuals, mm -hmm. and it just gets to the ABCs because fly lining a bait would be would you would you not agree that it's a it's a fundamental skill that mm -hmm. all of us that fish in SoCal have to have. Yeah, and um, it's not casting. Um, because there's no way to do that inside of a restaurant. You're not going to a Mimi's cafe and trying to teach you how to cast. <laughs> you know, it, it, your, your swim bait end up in somebody's soup. Um, that might be very expensive too. Right, windows right. and all that. But you do show, the, show people the ABCs of everything. And then at some point, you know, during the, in the middle of that, of that workshop, you know, when you start to see the, 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 the light bulb go on, and I, I call it the BFO, the blinding flash of the obvious. <laughs> people have been doing it for years. Something, I, you know, we were talking about in the big, when I just got here, we were talking about uh, fishing with the wind in your face when mm -hmm. you're drift fishing for, for tuna. People know that they should do it, but they don't understand why. 
right? So when you explain to them how the sport, 99% of the sport boats drift, and then you explain to them that it's actually not really, it's fishing with the wind in your face. It's not necessarily casting with the wind in your face. You know, there's a line right. that I, there's something I teach the, or I talk about in my workshops. I tell people to start in the flat end of the boat and you'll end up in the round, mm -hmm. which means that you cast in the, in the stern, in the back, and we'll, you know, people ask, where do you cast? This is mm -hmm. where you're, you're the, you got to get next in line. Right. The la you got to get behind the last person who casted. Because you start saying wind in your face, everybody goes to the por port side of the boat, and now yeah. you've got guys casting over each other, and that's a really good way to make friends. Yeah. Right. And people, uh, once they understand all that, they, uh, they, it's now. Um, I've had uh, some some of the boat captains ask, but the hell you you know what are you teaching people? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, it's not expert advice, but I said the the more. I can minimize that guy coming onto your boat, the happier your passengers will be and the happier your crewmen will be. And I'm mm -hmm. sure the happier you will be. Yeah. Right. I mean, that makes sense where you, when you're casting and all that stuff, mm -hmm. especially live bait, I yeah. mean, it's almost like a, a chain reaction and also it's a line. You're getting in line because yeah. you got to start in the, in the downwind corner. Correct. Start it out. And mm -hmm. then you have your, so much opportunity for your bait to get in the zone. Right. And so much time too. Right, and you that know, in, in these workshops, one of the things I always say, I, I I always use this line. I tell people that fishing is the only sport where a fortuitous outcome is rewarded. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, you guys, guy will say, "You go, I've been doing this with this way for thirty years. Leave me alone." And, you know, but don't then, you love those guys? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not a problem. And um, you know, but uh, you kind of have to think now. If 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 let's say for example, you, I've heard people come up and complain that they keep getting in the tangles with everyone. Well, there's kind of a common denominator here, mm -hmm. so it may not be everyone. It might just be you. And you know, one of the things about fishing, good fishermen, they adapt. They're very flexible. Good tackle manufacturers adapt. They're very flexible. They react well. You know, there's a trend that they see in the marketplace and they can react quickly to it. There's something happening. Maybe some of the one of the products that they have is not maybe doing too well or it's fail having its failures. They react. So as anglers, we kind of have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We have to be flexible. We have to adapt. Um, and sometimes and, and you run into some folks that maybe don't want to do that. And maybe it's not a problem as long as you're not creating problems for everyone else. Good fishermen don't just fish for them. Don't we're not just here. A good fisherman isn't just there to catch fish and fill up his or her sack. A good fisherman one catches fish, that's for sure. But mm -hmm. more importantly, they're not a problem to anybody on the boat. Mm. You know, and they use uh, everything, uh, all the challenges that they might 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 face. Um, well, I'll give you like an example. Uh, you you know, everybody in 2020, if you look on Facebook, the jigs only Facebook page. Oh, well, every, yes. We were all home, right? So everybody's yeah. showing off what they bought. You know, the billions or the thousands of jigs that we all have. Like yep. wow. <laughs> and uh, but jig fishing, uh, you go and fish with booger on the San Diego. Um, you're going to have a lot of real good jig fishermen hanging out on the bow. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have guys that want to learn who won't go. They'll mm -hmm. try to do it yeah. in the stern or something like that. Well, you know, you, you have to go. And the fear is, is that, well, there's people behind us, you know, use that as a, as an opportunity to learn. I don't see, I, you know, Dan Wade, you know, everybody looks to him and you consider him to be one of the best uh, surface iron fishermen, non-crew anyway. Right. 
He doesn't seem to mind when it's it's a battle full of people. Mm-hmm. You know, he understands how to work around it and be safe and effective at the same time. And you use these things, these obstacles, as a as a uh, as a means to learn something, not as a, oh God, you know, because then you what do, what do you end up with that one? Then yeah. you start casting your live bait with the wind of your back, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And that's actually true too. I mean, there's a process on the bow as well, like catching, uh, casting the surface irons yeah. too, where everyone uh-huh. takes their turn. And yep. as long as everyone's kind of on the same page, you're going to have no issues. Correct. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just a matter of of wanting to learn and asking the right questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned that uh, over the past couple of years here. It's uh, it's not just asking questions. It's asking the right questions. Um, and if you're able to, 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 you know, if you really dive deep in it and you say that you really enjoy it and you really want to learn, you will know what, what, what the right questions are. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not able to cast, the question should not be what color jig is working. Right. Right. The question should be, what am I doing wrong in my cast? Well, you, you're, cons- you're thinking of casting a jig on the bow. You're, cons- you're looking at it as if it's a live bait. It's not a lob, mm. you know? So it's, it's the asking the right questions I think is critical. I think that's actually, that touches, touches on a great point where asking the crew any kind of question and all mm-hmm. that stuff, it's one thing. But if you ask the right question right. or if you ask the, like an interesting question to them, at least, you actually get a very thoughtful, methodical yep. response too, and they appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So it's it's just these things that we kind of learn through experience. Most people want to, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of folks these days. We're well, not these days, but I've, I've noticed that over the last what since the forums started came into existence. Yeah, you're all you're you're one of my friends calls it virtual fishing. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. they argue Keyboard. with each other, right? <laughs> Just go. Yeah, that's the only way you're going to learn. Is just mm-hmm. go and ask and and ask the right questions. It's not about gear at this point. I mean, obviously the gear helps. Um, put, and in, tack- put in the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we get uh, get any further away from it, just briefly go into the Medicare deal yeah. and, and all that because I mean I know producer Darren's darn near Medicare age, <laughs> so we have to get we have to get some info from him. I got but- you. I got you. <laughs> Well, I, um, I, have to, I had to grow up and I always tell people I had to grow up and get a real job. Yeah. Uh, so when I started my family, it was hard to be on the road as a rep, uh, for mm-hmm. me anyway. Um, and I wanted to be home with my son. And so I kind of, I, I, I wanted, I'm trying to figure out what the heck it was I was going to do. I tried different things and I worked for a couple of different, I left on very good terms, uh, you know, no, no issues. Um, went to work and I, I saw that. You know, I like the insurance portion of it, uh, just the regular insurance, if you want to call it that. One of the things that I did not care for, though, was a lack of, 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 uh, of, of personal time. I'm a relationship guy, and mm-hmm. um, I don't, you know, um, I don't have a, 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 a list of, uh, you know, thousands of friends. I have five you know mm-hmm. that I that I but I'm I, I like to say that I you know I want to earn people's respect and it feels good whenever I'm able to accomplish that. So the one-on-one was what I really liked and I happened to I kind of fell into uh the Medicare portion of it and um I really enjoyed it because I could go into somebody's home, sit down with them, get to know them, get to know about their concerns, things that they're, you know, looking forward to doing. So I uh, started up my agency in 2020. Weird, right? But oh, wow. I just, I just, I just did it. I said, you know <laughs> what? I'm going to be sitting here at home. But um, what I do is uh, I am a professional Medicare benefits advisor. Um, is what I do. I help people to understand 
the plans that they are currently on. I teach them how to utilize every single benefit because there are things in those benefits that can be uh, that can be turned into kind of a financial tool. There mm-hmm. are incentives to certain things with medical groups. And why would you want to leave all that on the table? It's there for you to use. And so if you don't know how to use it or you have or nobody has come out and shared with you and taught you how, what and how, um, then they're doing you a disservice. So I don't charge anything for conversation. I am not a signature hunter. I come out and I want to just answer everyone's questions because my biggest goal is to, uh, to have everybody understand just a little bit about their health care. Mm-hmm. And away you go. We'll be a, uh, everybody will be a lot happier because as I, I always say there's, there's no such thing as a bad insurance company. Believe me. There isn't. People want to blame the insurance company. Hell, even insurance agents want to, uh, they, they commiserate and blame it on the insurance companies. There's just bad information. And I'm here to write that, to, to write that ship and to help anglers um, who are either getting into their Medicare uh, or already in it just to understand the entire process. Because what we want is for them to maximize their benefits get into what it is that they truly need while at the same time um, avoiding any types of penalties and anything, anything like that. So you're not like an actual insurance company, but you're kind of like the translator. Exactly. For- I like that. Yes, yeah. I like that. And so then the question will come up, well, Brian, how do you get paid? I get paid when I help you make the decision to get into a plan that best suits you. Hmm. That's it. Otherwise, I'm here to answer your question. So in my, uh, you know, when people go on, I, I, I'll do like a, the Friedman Adventures podcast, let's say, mm-hmm. and I'll give them my website, www.mhlis.com. Pretty simple, mhlis.com. But I say, hey, shoot me questions about Medicare or your Medicare or want to talk fishing? I love yeah. it. Send nice. it my way. I had one guy call me, uh, send me a te- or email from, the, from one of the podcasts that I did. Um, he says, hey, uh, listen to the podcast. It was really great. I suck at casting. He goes, can I, send, can I text you a video of what I'm doing? I says, sure. Nice. And so kind of helped him out there. But uh, yeah, that's kind of that's what I do and what I enjoy to do. I'm a question answerer. Nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. If, you know, for, for those of us that are not, you know, not at Medicare age, because mm-hmm. I think it's 65, right? Correct. Okay. So if for those of us that aren't 65 or even those that maybe even be approaching 65 mm-hmm. and all that stuff, anything in particular that they need to do or well, reach out if to? If you're you? not anywhere close to 65, there's probably a chance that you know someone or your parents or your grandparents that are there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you uh, if you want to, if you really want to do them a favor, um, you'd probably... you'd setting them up with someone like mm-hmm. me i mean i hate to say that but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know to try to toot my own horn but um just to be able to give them that advice and if you're approaching it there are definitely things i would say that if you're uh, hey if you're a year away from it um that'd be a good time to start some dialogue because mm-hmm. there's some things that you'd have to pr- make sure that you prepare even if you're con- going to continue to work some things that you have to know again that that horrible p word penalty mm-hmm. we don't want that and there's things that we can kind of, we you might actually get penalized on if you forget mm-hmm. um, yeah. so uh, i'm i i talk to everyone because like i said if you know do your do the person a friend or a loved one a favor i mean you want to make sure that they they understand everything about their benefits so let's do it let's talk 
So forgive me for not knowing much about Medicare at all uh-huh. or even healthcare for that matter. Yeah. But when someone turns 65, are you automatically going on to Medicare rather than a private insurance company? No, no. When you turn 65, if you're already, if you've agreed to take your social security benefits early, then it comes to you automatically in the mail. Okay. But okay. if you're still working and you see you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, um, but you want to take your Medicare, and there are pluses pluses to it versus mm-hmm. the group health plan that you're on, uh, then you yourself would have to go and apply. And so if you want to understand those those benefits and you want to know what the difference is between your group health plan and your and Medicare and wh- how that would work, um, that's when I would come in and I would answer that question for you. Okay. And yep. we're all, as you know, employees of businesses and uh-huh. all that stuff, we all pay into Medicare yes. throughout you know, our paychecks Correct. and all that stuff. Yeah, you're paying into your Medicare Part A, which is the hospitalization portion of it. But Part B, you're still responsible for. Huh. Interesting. Yep. All right. I learn something new every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, man. Well, rather than talk about Medicare, because yes, I please. know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but uh, this is efficient. That's what I that's what I really love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you always, you, you do a really good job at, at um, not giving talks, but workshops and all yes. that stuff. Uh-huh. And we, we started talking about how you do that and all that stuff with the... Um, I think you called it the paper slides or something. Yeah, my easel. Yeah, your easel. <laughs> old school. Yeah, <laughs> which makes sense for fishing clubs uh-huh. and all that stuff because yeah. you know not everyone has the equipment and all that yeah. stuff. But yeah, go go into a typical workshop. What you're doing, explaining the ABCs and yeah. all that stuff. Um, well, we'll use like the one uh, I just did. I did one a couple weeks ago for the Redondo Beach Rod and Gun Club, um, and it was probably I, I mean it was well attended. It was a it's a well run club. Um, but we did. They wanted to to hear the uh, that live bait fly lining factuals one. So this the the easel, my little my, you know paper roll up. Um, I had, I printed out pictures of the three most common baits that we use uh, in Southern California: the sardine, the anchovy, and the squid. I actually and then I started to draw uh, arrows where you hook them and why. Huh. Right. Um, well, I, like people look at a sardine. My sardine picture. I had five places to hook them. They go five. Wow, we didn't know that. You know, there are yeah. five places to hook them. And I, you know, you start to explain to them why, when you use something, and why, and it starts to make sense. Anchovy, same thing. The squid, same thing. Is it situational, or do you just go with your favorite? Uh, no, it is situational. But I will say the one thing that the one style that I don't, yeah, I don't use the, I use the least of would be the nose hook. Hmm. Um, yeah, but, uh, you have your nose, shoulder, uh, belly hook, butt hook, and then the, uh, um, when there's, um, the heart hook. And that's kind of an old, uh, uh, a uh, Frank LaPristi kind of thing. You know, you learn from him and then you, you <laughs> kind of, you know, then when you go to them seminars, you yeah. kind of, if you pay, you pay attention to those, those types of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, those are the five ways that I, that, that you can hook them. And, um, I found that like a shoulder hook. All of last year, uh, the shoulder hook for me, or the last last year, or 2021 and 2020, uh, even 19, it, it worked really well when fly lining for our bluefin. I use it I, when, when I see them boiling on our baits, but they don't want to eat anything with a hook in it. So when you shoulder hook them, they're, what are they looking at when they look up and see your bait? They see that flash of the, the belly, right? The only difference is our bait, when we cast it out, it's got a hook and line in it. Mm-hmm. So the shoulder hook actually mimics that. It's like the double trouble rig on the kite, kind of, right? They don't see that much of the line, and they can't see the hook either. They just kind of see the flash of the belly. So that's mm-hmm. when I'll, uh, I will use that method. Hmm. This year, the heart hook, you know, the bait's been battered. 
Uh, it's it's it, we've got a really good fishing season this year or fishing year this year, yeah. and so that bait doesn't have really that much time to cure inside the receivers. Mm-hmm. I know that you know some of the receivers they might have a special box for uh, the long range boats, which rightly so because they're out for five, ten, fifteen days. But yeah. um, still. Uh, the heart hook um, has really uh, it really helped this year. Um, it they swim like mad uh, <laughs> when you hook them that way, and you can long soak them that way as well. What you know, is the heart hook? The heart hook is right uh, underneath the gills. Uh, right underneath the gills, you'll see these two little fins that mm-hmm. they have right in there, and you right. just get your hook right in between that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess if we call it the heart hook, I guess uh, it might be a little bit too intense. It's almost we kind just of like the, the, the throat chest. Hook. Yeah. Yeah. We okay. call it, yeah. But that's not, yeah, you just get it right underneath the skin. You drew blood, you went too deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go in, you, there's there's no way you can get in too, t- too because your hook's too big. So there's, you, you know, you just kind of, you'll start to work at it. And uh, when you fire it out, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that method, much like the belly hook, you kind of, if you put a little bit too much English on the cast, they'll come flying off. So you kind of mm-hmm. just lob it out there, but you'll see when they hit the water, hmm. they really do take off. So. You know, we there was that 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 one uh, on the on the diagram that we drew out or that we had mm-hmm. that got a lot of attention. People were like, "What the heck is a heart hook?" And <laughs> you don't you hear know, that very often. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, that and then that belly hook that under the two other fins, not the hole. That's the mm-hmm. butt hook, but under the yep. two belly fins. Um, in that, I like that when they're like boiling in the corner. Yeah, you know, it's a good, it's good action going on, and that one they they kind of they 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 swim really good there too, but they're really hyper when that when mm-hmm. they hit the water that way. So I'll be honest, I don't think I've fished bait for quite some time. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm usually jigs and yeah. all that stuff, but when I did fish bait or when I do or whenever that happens again, <clears throat> it, like I just have a rule of thumb: if I see any blood, whether yeah. it's just a bloody bait or if it bleeds or whatnot, I'm not using it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty well, accurate. I tell you what, um, I, it would be in any type of general uh, seminar that you would go to, uh, you know, we always talk about bait selection, right? Mm-hmm. And I will say this. Um, remember I said about being flexible and adapting? Right. This year, the baits that are beat up for us on our trips, they swim better than the ones that look real clean. No kidding. Yeah. See, huh. that's being flexible, right? Because you'd sit there for maybe a couple of minutes trying to find the bait. When yeah. in reality, I mean, you just kind of just go with it. If it's yeah. swimming and it's getting bit, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, they're wanting something really active. Um, hmm. So it really doesn't matter at this, you know, if it's looking, you know, you know, Vogue style, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah. And, you know, you kind of, you, you said something like, because I run into a lot of people that are like you, they like to fish nothing but lures. They like mm-hmm. to fish nothing but jigs. And that's no problem. And, uh, hey, jigfish win a lot of jackpots, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, a good jig fisherman is usually a pretty good bait fisherman. You know, I always say in, in, the, in, in my workshops, I tell people, um, when you fish a bait, you have to think like the predator or the game fish you're going after. When mm-hmm. you fish a jig, you have to f- think like a bait. Oh, Just that makes sense. It, right? Yeah, so, I, haven't, I haven't thought about yeah. that that way. So if you're a really good bait fisherman, again, you know, we'll bring up like Dan Wade. Mm-hmm. He's a good bait fisherman. He's a good fisherman. Yeah. You see? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I had uh, I was on the, a podcast with uh, Joel Shimizu at Taddy, and he agreed with me. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, that's absolutely spot on. You, you know, you want to be a good jig fisherman. You should learn how to be a decent bait fisherman, and you'll be a really good jig fisherman. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So you're just you're giving a bait the shot, but are you still switching out for thirty seconds of just? I will go through so that the club they asked me this says, well, when do you use all those? I says every stop I make. 
Oh, what? interesting. I says, yeah, until, when the bait doesn't do what you want it to do, there is no reason to give it the eighth, ninth, tenth cast in there. <laughs> so if I, I'll, tr- you know, first stop, I'll try one method, I throw it out and it didn't get bit. That's what I want it to ha- ultimately happen, right? If it right. Didn't, get bit, didn't get bit, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to another one, yeah. another style. If the bait doesn't take off the moment it hits the water, why waste time? Mm-hmm. I pull them off and, you know, I'll try, maybe I'll give them one more chance and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, you know, fishing a live bait, just like, I mean, jig fishing, you can say the same thing. It's a proactive thing. Even though in jig fishing, you might be looking for a sign. You're looking for turns diving and things like that, but you're still looking for a sign. So mm-hmm. you're being very proactive. You can't just have a carry on a conversation. Guys that are good at it, they're watching and paying attention. Mm-hmm. With bait fishing, it's the same. You got, it's a very proactive fishery. You, you have to be, or it's a very active fishery. And you have to, to, to know, you have to be, you have to be really, uh, you have to pay attention to everything that's going on. So nice. if the bait's not swimming, better figure out why. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in general, how are these workshops going for you? Uh, they, I, I people are, I, I'm getting people, responses from people. They're emailing me and saying, hey, thanks for the great information. I'd like to follow up with more. Maybe mm-hmm. you can come, if you'd like to come back, there's maybe some other stuff in your workshops that you offer, you know, that that, that we haven't heard that we'd really be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's being well received and I'm very blessed uh, to be able to just provide uh, provide a little bit of, of intel. Again, not expert information because uh, I'm not an expert. <laughs> It's your um, disclaimer. It's a disclaimer. <laughs> I'm not that. What I tell you, I always tell the clubs. I say what I tell you. It's not going to guarantee you catch, but mm-hmm. it will put you in a good position to do so. Mm-hmm. That's it. I can't guarantee that. There's still Mother Nature. You know, Mother yeah. Nature never never loses. So you have a lot of that. It's the fish's behavior. And God, if you're fishing bluefin, you know, bluefin being bluefin, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you just never know. But uh, it does. Uh, it. it it help, it, it's very helpful uh, to a lot of the club members because, you know, sometimes, uh, to be honest with you, maybe if you're new to it or maybe you just aren't in the know, you don't want to ask and, you know, and sound stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives people an opportunity. That's why we could have gotten really intense with everything. Um, and we could talk about, like in my, the, the live bait one, we just keep using that for now. Mm-hmm. We could talk about fishing the bow. Oh, I heard fishing the bow is a great place. Well, you kind of have to get the ABCs first before we start venturing into any of that boutique type of fishing. Mm, yeah. You know, um, so that's why I try to, I, I limit a lot of that and we just get down to the basics. And once you get the basics, then you'll be able to go and do other things and try other things. Nice. Um, yeah. So Very cool. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, when, well. First off, you mentioned bluefin, so I have to ask: Did you get in on that uh, knife jigging bluefin this year? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. You know, it's funny um, uh, because I was uh, working with Shimano. I I, I put a a post out on my Facebook and Instagram uh, Mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, I think it was like in '06. It was um, when uh, I was there, and we uh, we introduced butterfly to the U.S. You guys remember butterfly jigging? That is that's speed jigging. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, at that time, uh, it wasn't that speed jigging is new. Um, it's that uh, it just wasn't marketed heavily in the United States. So when we brought when we had that, um, we didn't have I called bluefin a glory fish um, because we didn't, you know, everybody's Facebook profile picture. If you're a fisherman, it's all <laughs> fisherman's a bluefin. That makes sense. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't have the glory fish. 
That totally makes yeah. sense. I, I get that now. Yeah. So it just kind of, you know, people, they weren't really, you know, it wasn't huge and it wasn't widely accepted. But, you know, there were a, a core, group of core guys that that were pursuing that. And it became big in probably other parts of the country. But here on the West Coast, you know, well, it's I, my 6X Junior, you know, is still working. And there's no problem with that. But uh, that was, this, the butterfly was speed jigging. And that's what we do with the knife jigs for the bluefin. Mm. So here we are now, fast forward, um, and you're seeing that at you know, guy, it, it's becoming like we're that's one of those who are 16 years a little bit too early, right? <laughs> yeah, because now uh, you have to give credit to a couple of guys um, that did a lot of homework, that put in a lot of time on the water, um, uh, and they're no particular order, but you have a group of guys called West Coast Jiggers. Okay. And those guys um, forget the fact that they sell uh, uh, one of the, the most productive knife jigs uh, on the market, but they they put in a lot of time and a lot of work so that they could they, they could teach us what kind of tackle we need for these bluefin, because otherwise we wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we honestly, we just try to piece things together in a way we go. But those guys made it a point to 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 try everything and fail, and try everything and succeed, to be able to tell us what 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 we needed and explain to us the te- the terminology of the jigging rods, because we're used to two seventy eight h fifteen to forty eight foot. Yeah, we don't know what PE stands for. What the heck's that? You know, mm-hmm. and what does that mean for us? Those guys really did that, uh, really helped on that with the reels. And then Taddy Lures. Uh, Taddy, I know, uh, he's kind of more behind the scenes of things. But when you start picking his brain on this stuff, it's amazing what he knows. And you can start go- going, and, you know, the nice thing about him is he, uh, uh, not to say that West Coast Jiggers, those guys don't do that, but you know, mm-hmm. he he will listen too. So if you tell him, hey, man, you know, this is the way that things are being are, are, are popular now. This is what's been working. He'll kind of look at it and he'll say, hey, you know what? I'd like to dive more, dive deeper into this. Maybe we can talk a little bit more. So, but uh, now we kind of, we're, we're at this point here where it's, it's, you, you can see that the trend is beginning. I can't say it's a trend yet. What I can tell you is that people are either buying it because they're buying the rods and reels because they want to try it. And don't know how to yet, but they mm-hmm. want to try it, or they're just buying it just for the heck of it. Kind of one of that, yeah. uh, like a surface iron, the jig stick, right? Yeah. How many people own them, but haven't caught anything on it, but just because they they, they want it, because, you know, so um, one of the things that those two guys, the West Coast Jiggers and Taddy, and even myself, um, and a couple other guys, just really want people to understand it so that they know what it is that they're getting into. Because I, for the most part, I don't fish a rail rod anymore for bluefin for at nighttime. I, mm-hmm. I don't bring it on the boat. Um, I fish the jigging rods and people look how the hell you land them on those. <laughs> I wanted to, I'm going to, I'm trying to do a, a, a video on how to fight fish on the jigging rods. I, on that September trip, I just came off of, I had two of my friends. Um, well, we had a, a stop for four bites. Okay. For, I mean, it was like, it just looked like dominoes. One, mm-hmm. two, three, four. I was very blessed to be one of those four. Nice. Okay, one fish was lost. The other two, 243 and 210. Mine was a 60-pounder, not, you know, Facebook-worthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, people, people go, what the hell? But uh, like I said, I, I can't control what size fish bites. Right. Um, but w- my friend, one of my friends, Al, um, he wanted to learn how to fight these fish. So I was going over it with him. And then he had another gentleman that was going over it with him. And 
he bested a 243 in under 30 minutes. Oh, and wow. I'm talking on like small, uh, like a Talica 25. Or, it was a HXW, which is Talica okay. 25 size, yeah. right? Yeah. That, and he under 30 minutes. Nice. My other friend who got, who hooked a two, it was like 205, 210, somewhere around mm-hmm. there. It was like an hour and a half. Jeez. On the jigging rods. And because, you know, he didn't have time and he's busy working and such. So he didn't have time. He, I literally just, I just, because I, I, I had a rod build, one of the rod builders, and I know build him a rod. I just walked on the boat and here you go. He, yeah. you know, gets bit on the drop. Well, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. He had to give the, hand the rod over halfway to the deckhand. Uh, Tyler on the Cortez and Tyler didn't know how to fight it on that rig. Yeah. It is different. And every style of fighting a big fish, that's one of the workshops that I have. I call it the do's and don'ts of fighting big fish. Um, the rail done wrong, you're going to spend an awful lot of time on that fish. The mm-hmm. jigging rod done wrong, you're going to spend an awful lot of time on that fish. But that just shows you there is a way and you can land big ones on mm-hmm. these uh, jigging outfits. You just have to know um know how to do it mm-hmm. and um and it's a lot more fun and the rigs are lighter that's yeah. for sure yeah. and you know what maybe when they're biting full speed eating a 16 ounce torpedo sinker no problem <laughs> but when they're not and they you really have to do something that separates yourself the jigging the speed jigging action alone will make your jig look so different from the conventional guys now there are a few guys out there that fish the conventional tackle and do and kick ass Mm -hmm. they these guys work hard though i mean they probably work a jig harder than than i would on a speed jigging rod with Mm -hmm. a rail rod that's how intense they are see but that means that they know too they Mm -hmm. themselves know that it does separate itself that's why i'm tired of the people call the, the bluefin jigging at night they i've heard no, it's a no talent fishing. It's all luck. You know, the people that say that are the ones that haven't got bit yet on a jig. Mm. It's not. You can't tell me that these guys are all lucky. You know, there's a gentleman that fishes uh, other boats, but he's mainly, he charters the Thunderbird. His name is Jeff Price. Oh, yeah. You can't tell me that he's lucky. No. You can't be lucky that for that long in every single trip. There's you know, skill. There is absolutely yeah. skill and time that's involved. So, yeah, I'm all over the jigging rods. And I do one of the workshops that I do for fishing clubs. It's just the basic fundamentals of speed jigging um, so that people understand. I don't, tend, you know, uh, if you wanted to do the, an entire thing, I'd be two and a half hours. So I try <laughs> to get everything just so that they understand why the, t- the the tackle we can't get into the jigging portion of it yet but you just have to understand the whys uh, of uh, and hows you know have you developed any kind of medium like a youtube page or channel or something i have not i have not i There's uh, an opportunity here <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't like i said i, I told you guys in the beginning i'm te- technologically challenged so i'm gonna have to find somebody i'm, I'm happy if tca wants to do something i know hey. phil he's like oh I, i'd help you out and i'd love that but i just don't know how to even begin oh we'll have to talk yeah. about it yeah for yeah. sure well, we have to capitalize on this yeah for sure. Well, uh, since you've been in the industry and you've worked at the different manufacturers and all that stuff, I have to ask. I've always wondered, and this might be a completely stupid question, but do they actually have, like, is there like some tank that you can rent or something to actually watch the jig move throughout the water column? Because typically you're not watching it other than the first 10 feet of the water. Yeah. yeah. Is, how do they develop the, these and actually know what they're getting? I think that, I think that maybe it's just uh, somebody else did the work already. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's already, you know, 
in in fishing lures, you, you ever notice it's just kind of it's always it's a refinement of something else that's already yeah. on the market, right? Yeah. And so whatever it is, the original, if you take a speed jig, for example, um, you know, we had the original speed jig. I'm sure somebody took time uh, to sit there and, you know, try to figure out what it is that they wanted. But in, um, and they got bit on it. Um, we like to say, you know, it's not about what the jig does. It's about what the fish bites. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. So who cares how you designed it? Hell, the guy sitting there, he could, you know, just be shaving away at a, at a piece of zinc and all of a sudden it gets, keep, keeps on getting bit. That's the one. Yeah. Right? So now people look at that jig, let's just say, and they go, well, you know what? We can make improvements on that because the way that this jig is running, we notice that it's short. It's too short. So if we made it longer, we might be able to move it faster. Mm. right so now or we will we'll be able to move it faster oh okay so somebody comes out makes it longer and then they try it as far as you know a tank i i you know down there it's kind of hard to to say but what you can do just base it off of what we've learned from the from the lures that were made in the past and so you can see that if you've got more more a flatter jig then it might catch more water so it will sink slower and maybe flutter a bit more Mm -hmm. right and if you got a really slender jig, well, then it's going to just bolt right on down. So these, that's kind of, I think that's a lot of the lure manufacturers. You get into bass fishing, green bass, largemouth bass, <laughs> that's when you can start to say now. I mean, you guys seen the tanks at the Fred Hall shows. I mean, yeah. these guys, that's where a lot of that homework. That's why it's such a, the, the saltwater lures, they're, they're, it's more just what gets bit. Mm-hmm. Um or the jigging lures anyway, but the uh, freshwater bass, that's when they're, the, the manufacturer, they sit there and they go, okay, we're trying to figure out what's, you know, what it is that's happening here. Yeah. I um, mean, I've, I've always wondered that. And like I said, this could be a completely uh-huh. stupid question. And I know people will actually test out some jigs in pools and all yeah. that stuff, but I always wondered that. I think that, you know, that some jigs you can do that in a pool mm-hmm. for sure, but not a 300 gram jig. Yeah. I mean, that's 16 feet is right yeah. to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, but uh, that's you just kind of base it. It like I said, I don't. You know, it's all a it's a refinement of what's of of what's already been done, mm-hmm. and just kind of looking at it and saying, hey, you know, if we made one that we can move a little faster, maybe we notice how how can you tell, right? I mean, if the the jig is falling real slow, we just base it off of the anglers too. Mm-hmm. If it falls real slow in the dark while you're jigging for bluefin, and first drop it scopes out already. You're going to have to narrow the jig, right? You right. have to go for a narrower jig, not one that catches water. Mm-hmm. So now you kind of know, hey, this is what we have to do. Uh, as a lure manufacturer, they start to hear all this. I don't want a jig that scopes out too much. Oh, okay. Well, maybe the trick is to get one that's narrow, make one that's uh, that's skinny, hence mm-hmm. the knife jig. Right. You see that? So it just kind of keeps on building that way, and it just keeps evolving. Um, and then, of course, I'm sure at some point it'll come right circle right back around where it started. <laughs> yeah. <Right? yep. laughs> Here's a question. Yeah. Glow or not glow? Um, I know. Yeah, I, I always answer it uh, and say this. Uh, if glow gives you the confidence to drop it in and fish it hard, start glowing away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, confidence has a lot to do with it, just as the element of luck has, a lot to, has some to do with it. But confidence is key. And uh, if you feel that glow is going to help, bring your UV light and glow away. <laughs> I personally don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm lazy, 
Uh, I want to drop. I'm like ready to get bit. I, yeah. I don't want to sit there and, you know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. charging up jigs. But uh, that's not to say that it doesn't help. I, 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 I it, it helps more maybe the angler's confidence. Do it. We always, you know, color doesn't matter. Well, then why do you have a box full of mint and white surface iron? You know, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's me at, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have the option, any time of the year, any species and all that stuff, you, you had, a, say, a, a day and a half or a two-day trip and uh-huh. all that, what are you going to go fish for? Are you going to go after bluefin, yellowfin, bass, anything in particular? What's your favorite species to go after? I'd love to do a combination day and a half trip uh, that fishes bluefin in the dark and bass in the daytime. Oh, that's I'm good with that. That sounds tiring as hell, but yeah. Uh, oh, that's man. interesting. We used to do that on the uh, when I chartered the Outrider with Tucker. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, he knew the island, too. And that's when they were yeah. buying a desperation. Mm. So if you were on a day and a half, you could do it. You know, yeah. you go and fish a bluefin in the dark and then uh, get on over and try to and, and fish the, uh, the bass and stuff in the daytime. That's my favorite. And you have to bring a gang of tackle. I know. I was going <laughs> to say, I mean... You're bringing bass gear and big, big bluefin stuff. Yeah, you've got a little, you know, three hundred size bait casting reel, and you've got a thirty size two speed. <laughs> you know, don't mix them up. Though. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it might be the, uh, it, it might be a tragedy. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's what I love, but uh, it's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, this hour has flown by. Um, Seriously, we need to actually start to uh, think about how we can get these seminars and these uh, workshops online or something. Because this, I mean, I've learned a whole bunch from you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I know the you know the one I did at Redondo there. Uh, they were saying the same thing. I had uh, Sam De La Torre from oh, yeah. uh, Island Fishing Tackle come out, and uh, it's like a Sam. best compliment to me when he, someone like him in his position told me you should film this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I do appreciate that. And I appreciate the support that uh, the anglers, the fishing community, and the fishing clubs have shown me, the CCA. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it's, let's, I'd, I'd love to, somebody to point me in the right direction in, as regards to technology. We, we can help you out. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on. Like appreciate I said, it. the hour just flew by. And uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. No, awesome. I'm sure we can. But I, I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. One more time. How do we get in contact with you? How do we talk about fishing, Medicare, all that good stuff? Very easy. Just log on to my website. I'm at www.mhlis.com. Uh, my agency's name is Milestone Health and Life. So www.mhlis.com, and there's a big old yellow button on there that you click, and you can send me a message. You want to talk fishing, ask about fishing tackle, or, you know, I've, or even if uh, a lot of ta- tackle manufacturers, um, I'm still working with some of them to this very day. Just, mm-hmm. you know, they'll ask me about product and questions and, uh, and or, or, you know, what it is that I'm seeing as far as a trend in the marketplace and, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that. I just, you know, I, I answered a message uh, a couple weeks ago from a very good friend of mine whom you guys know, kind of keep it anonymous, but <laughs> asking about what it is that what, the, the rods that we're using right now for speed jigging for bluefin and why. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of, it's always a uh, flattering, of course. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm glad that I can still contribute something. Yeah. that's actually really cool. I yeah. mean, that people are still hitting you up for advice and, yeah. and all that stuff. Early, yeah, but absolutely. Still so. making your mark on the industry. I like still it. Still trying. <laughs> that's cool, man. 
And uh, anything exciting coming up? I know we're wrapping up 22 right now, but anything happening on 23 in your end? Uh, nothing on my end. What's exciting right now, I guess, would be, uh, you know, we get into the Medicare portion of it. It is uh, the open enrollment time period. Uh, don't, you know, uh, if you really want to get to get a chance to understand what it is that is happening, uh, Joe Namath, as great as a football player as he is on that TV commercial, you can get yourself into an awful lot of trouble by doing that. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions in regards to your Medicare during this open enrollment period i'm sure people that are eligible have received at least 75 pieces of mail um and getting uh, unsolicited phone calls and things like that but uh i'd be happy to answer any questions um i don't charge for conversation i always say that nice so, i like yeah. that mm-hmm. i like that very cool yep. you going to the shows next year i am going to the shows nice. uh, i'll probably be at a couple of the booths um i i still uh, some of the manufacturers are my very good friends and yeah. clients too mm-hmm. so uh, but i like to kind of poke around and help out where i can um so uh yeah i will be at uh, at the shows I, I i can't guarantee i'll be there for five days because i'm not in the industry anymore so i do right. have to work but i probably will be there for a couple of days you have to sit by the cca booths hang out with us i absolutely will absolutely yeah. awesome thank you brian this thank is you this is cool appreciate it well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. It was a fantastic conversation. And like I said, I can't believe that hour flew by. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at ccacalifornia.org. Make sure, or that's our website. Make sure to follow us on at ccacalifornia. Also, don't forget to leave a review. It could pay off quite handsomely for you. Don't forget, we are giving away a angle cooler at the end of the year filled with all kinds of goodies and uh, that's going to be at the end of the year but you got to go get leave us a review so make sure you go do that on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher and spotify thank you so much guys we will see you guys next week